of our mini-series on uh, discipleship. We will finish this out. Next week we'll go back into finishing up Revelation. We'll finish Revelation right from the beginning of Advent, and then we'll go into the Advent season. I sometimes feel guilty when I say it like that because it makes the time sound like it's going really, really fast. Like when you say it in a sentence like that, I, I just gave you what we're going to do until until Christmas, which means it's almost Christmas season, and we just ended summer. It seems like all the time is passing, but uh, such is the situation. Uh, Advent just around around the corner. Um, and we're progressing, of course. So this is week three. Uh, to recap, week one, we talked about, uh, we've been talking about Jesus and discipleship in Jesus and how Jesus would disciple uh, the importance of discipleship. We said week one that, that the, the first step, so to speak, was abandoned. Uh, we said, take up your cross and follow me, was what Jesus said to those who would, would follow him. They were to abandon. They were to leave behind those things that were, were not of him and make him of, of, of first importance. So we talked about uh, abandoning uh, the, the first week. Last week we talked about immersion. You abandon, you abandon your own march, you win your own desires, and then you become immersed into the lifestyle, into the ministry, into the family uh, of, of Jesus. And this week, uh, we're actually going to talk about what is really the crux of the issue, the crux of all discipleship, which is, is dependence. And so, you, once you are abandoned, and this is not, uh, that's probably the wrong way to say it, because this is not a, a list or, or a step-by-step, but uh, to be abandoned and immersed in, into Jesus, there still needs to abandon to Jesus, immersed into uh, into that lifestyle, there still needs to be an awareness that it is ultimately the Holy Spirit and His work that disciples you, that you are discipled into Jesus, and it is His work that makes it happen, and the reason that it happens is for Him and for His glory and for, for His desires. Um, and so there's a sense in which this, this seems to book in uh, abandon, uh, but it's even deeper than that because what we want to get to here is the idea of of total dependence. But I'll just read you uh, some verses to, to frame the idea that this morning Jesus, when he thought, was talking to his disciples in Luke 3, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 3, said this, He told them, take nothing from the journey, take no staff, no bag, no bread, no extra tunic. So Jesus is calling disciples. He's singing, they take on the cross, they're going to follow him. He's about to send them, that's, that's the immersion. And when he tells them to go, he says, and by the way, don't take anything with you. Don't take a, a staff, in other words, a, a weapon for, for protection. Don't take a bag. Don't take bread. Don't take an extra tunic that is um, that is warm. I think to how most of us would feel would feel comfortable. It's more to how most of us think, even those of us who, who tend to fly by the, the seat of our, our pants. Uh, at least the no food one's going to get us still, right? Uh, so he, he said that in Luke 19. Uh, in Luke. Uh, 9.30, he said, you give them something to eat. In other words, he said, you, you feed people. Uh, that, that's a situation where, where they're looking at a group of people who have not been eating Jesus to feed them. After I were told them not to bring any food. And so the disciples must look like, how? Right? Uh, Luke 10.3 says, go and send you around as lambs among clothes. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. He said it again. Uh, in Luke 12, 32, he says, sell your possessions and 
give to the, to the poor. Uh, beyond that, if you want to talk about uh, the, the Beatitudes or Jesus in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, which is an acknowledgement that when someone comes to Jesus, that they really bring nothing to the table. And the idea here of discipleship, if you want to really be a disciple of Jesus, the realization is that you really bring nothing to the table in that um, in that uh, that scenario, right? And we've said this before, but Jesus is not in the business of picking out uh, the best thing based upon upon the most skills, as if Jesus were, were on the playground uh, trying to get the highest pick. Jesus is not the captain going, oh wow, that guy's really got it. I'm going to choose him. This is not it's not playground uh, uh, kickball, but rather Jesus is teaching people with nothing to calling people with really nothing to offer in, in, in these spiritual things, and he's wanting to empower them and, and make them into what, what they should should be. Um, which is not, by the way, to speak against your talents and gift this, yes, you have all that, but in the spiritual sense, you need to remember that you ultimately offer nothing to God because he has one of nothing. Um, and so, still, we said last week, that should not lead us to a, to a place where we are um, uh, to a place where we are, where we are fatalistic, or where we are, where we are not active, or where we're, where we just go, well, everything's determined. I should do nothing. We said before, God chooses because He wants to to work through means. You are means, so He does use your giftedness. He does use who you are. I'm just speaking to the idea that God is not in dire need of your giftedness. He's not in dire need of, of who you are, and that when you approach Him. As you come to him, he, he's calling you to come to him in a way that is totally dependent upon him. Uh, the, the reality is, in ministry, lots and lots of very good ministries are derailed by gifted people who rely upon their gifts to try and get things done. And so if you have a, a gift for speaking, you can become a, a, a speaker, and you can preach, and you can draw a crowd, and people show up, you can perhaps build it large church, and then what we are, we've actually seen over the last couple of years, almost at that epidemic within the church's pastors of very large congregations, having to step up either from, from sin or from, from just extreme tiredness, because what they were ministering from, and when they were ministering was from their own giftedness and from themselves. So to, to an extent, when Jesus said, calls him, what he's saying is, your dependence needs to be on me, and you need to minister in light of who I am rather than in light of you are. So, those are all verses to set up the idea simply to say, say this, that if you are going to fully be the, the uh, disciple of Jesus, like he wants you to be, like I hope you want to be, your dependence needs to be fully and completely on him. So, after we're going to spend most of our time this morning, and, sorry, John, John chapter 15. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is speaking, this is part of the I am uh, statements of Jesus, he's going to talk about himself, but Jesus is speaking and he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away 
like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, then my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, if you're going to be a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of, of, of Jesus, you said, I'm going to take up my cross, I'll abandon everything for the, the, this cause, I will do it. You become immersed in ministry, you're involved. You would think, well, that is it. I am in. I am, I have done it. I have, I have radically set aside other things. I have gone after it. I, I, I'm, I'm abandoned. I, I look at me, ironically, you would think that would be everything. But the reality is, is that oftentimes we can become so convinced of a cause or convinced of an idea that you could abandon, you might do something radical, but the crux of the issue, the heart of the issue, is the heart of you. Where is your heart invested? What is your heart uh, committed to? Are you are you committed to, to the radical idea? Are you committed to, to the radical thought? Are you committed to the person behind that? And we don't often think about that. There is, again, the reality that I just spoke to is that that pastors and, and other people and people in ministry have set aside a lot of things and done radical things for causes for years and years and years and years and years. And if you just look at the external, it might look perfect. But the reality is, oftentimes they're ministering from a place, or we're ministering from a place, where what we are what we are doing is driven by motives other than dependence upon who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in us. And so the issue that comes back to this is that if to be a true disciple, you need to have the heart of a disciple. It is possible to do great things for great causes without having at all the heart of a disciple, without having at all uh, the heart that you, you should have, even when the appearances might be otherwise. Remember, there are people outside of following Jesus who have done uh, historic things in history, who have taken great risks, who have abandoned great things. Uh, what we need to get to, down to is, is Christianity a, one of many great causes, or is it the central cause in, in, in everything? What we need to get down to is, is Christianity an important thing that we do? Is Christianity a lifestyle that we describe to? Or is, is it the very thing that gives all meaning to the universe? And is it the, the thing? So the idea here is just a reminder here that our heart is the issue. And so once we are abandoned and immersed, we still need to regularly ask ourselves, am I dependent upon whose strength Am I in my ministry? Is it my strength or is it his strength? Why am I in ministry? Jesus says this, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. In all of these I am statements, he's setting himself apart. He is being clear that he is um, he is speaking to his connection to the Father. He's speaking to his own deity. He is speaking to his own, his own power. He is speaking to who he is. In this case, he's saying to his people, I am the true vine. In other words, I'm the one. Noah asked me this morning, came for supper, and he said this morning, he asked me, yeah, what did, what did God mean when he said, I am that I am? Right? And so I was just like, well, I said, well, when he says, I am that I am, you know how you and I were made? Like, 
Someone else made us, someone else created us, someone made us into something. Well, God, when he says, I am that I am, no one made him. He's not defined by somebody else's creation, somebody else's project. He is defined by the fact that he is. It's a, it's a statement that he is God. It's this big statement, which um, I don't know if in his 11 year old mind back at home, but he, he seemed to, to take take that answer. But I want to point out here that when Jesus starts using these I am statements, there is a large dose of him referring back to the one who said, I am that I am. He is making self-declaration in ways that we cannot do. We are not subject, but we are created. We were made by somebody else. We may be corrupted or we may be living in the fullness of how we were created, but we do not typically get to make I am statements in the way that Yahweh says, I am that I am, in the way in which Jesus, making, laying hold to the claims of Yahweh, says, I am this. And in this case, he is the true vine. And my father is the vine church, so he's the true vine. Who is he? He is the one who connects people to the Father. He's the one who connects people. No one else gets to make that designation. No one else gets to say that. No, in, in the vine, there is life. In the vine, there is connection. In, in the vine, we're going to see there is fruit. In the vine, there is all of these things. In the, in, in the metaphor, he is the one who makes the, the uh, he makes the fruit of the kingdom grow. He makes the he makes it go. He gets to say that. He is the true vine, and his father is the vine dresser, or the one who takes care of the vine. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, or does bear fruit, he prunes. And so there's two things here. Um, and honestly, at times, if you were human, they both seem like good news, but one's actually, uh, or they both seem like bad news, I'm sorry. They both seem like bad news, one's actually bad news, one is good news. But it says this, every person is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There are dead branches. We would, um, we would assume that our purpose is not to go that deep into the past here, but what we would say is that in congregations and in and around Christianity, in and around churchianity, in and around evangelical culture, there are all kinds of people who appear to be part of the to be part of the church, to be a part of Jesus' people, to be a part of his followers, and yet if you look at their life, if you look at their, their existence, and, and maybe I should say if we look, but when the Father looks and when Jesus looks at who they are, it's discovered that they do not bear truth. They are not alive. They, they, are, they are dead. And so, likely here, we can, without forcing the metaphor, and I don't think Jesus is really trying to force the metaphor, what we can say is that there's all kinds of people who are in and around the culture of Christianity who might even use the name Jesus in, in a prayer or, or in, in some sort of uh, declaration, right? Yes, I follow Jesus, but the reality of their life is that they do not follow Jesus, and it's demonstrated by the fact that they don't bear any fruit, right? Because the one who follows Jesus is connected to Jesus, and he will bear fruit. These people bear no fruit. We should then assume, probably, that these are people who are in and around the culture of Christianity, but yet are not Christians. In other words, they've not been regenerated. They've not been made new. They're, they're not true, um, true children of, of, of God. The reason we, we would assume that is because the subject here is dependence. What are you dependent upon to bear fruit? You're dependent upon 
Jesus to bear fruit. It's not you who naturally bears fruit. It's, it's the vine. We're a branch connected to the vine. The vine is that which causes fruit, fruit to grow. And if the vine is that which causes fruit to grow, if Jesus is the true vine, the idea that a disciple would exist and not bear fruit would be either a, would be a problem with Jesus. We would have to acknowledge, well, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I truly know him, but I bear no fruit. Well, Jesus is claiming to be the one who makes fruit grow. And so that would end up being a critique of Jesus. We choose not to do that. So the bad news is, is that you can be around the culture of Christianity. You could grow up in, in, in the church. You could, you could be at it your whole life. You could even, uh, you could even do all kinds of good things. But the reality is that sometimes doing good things or things that appear good, if they flow from the wrong opinions or they flow from the wrong motive, are not true. And if you claim to be a Christ follower, but you've never borne any fruit, you need to be realistic with yourself and acknowledge that life of what you are is a dead branch that is going to be pruned from the culture and that you are not actually attached to the vine. So it's, it's bad news in the sense that if you have claimed your life to be a Christ follower, in no matter how connected you are to the culture, no matter what kind of words that you use, if you bear no fruit or the, or the fruit that you appear to bear comes from, from false motives, from false reasons, from anything other than dependence upon Jesus, then you need to deal with the fact that there, there might be a reality that you don't know him. And the bad news about this is, is that if you don't know him, the Father who is going to take care of the vines, who is the vine dresser, is going to take that branch that does not bear fruit, and he's going to take it away. That is bad news. And it is news that should cause us to be reflective. It is news that should cause us to look inward. It is news that should cause us to cry out to the God of heaven, search me. Lord, search me. Show me that I'm bearing fruit. And, and it should cause us to call out to him. So the branch that bears no fruit probably doesn't know Jesus at all. And so that's bad news. And here's the secondary, the, the next thing he says this, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That can seem like bad news, but it's actually good news, right? Uh, pruning, if you're a, a, a gardener, um, I don't know that we have a lot of gardeners, not a huge gardening community. Uh, some of you know, I don't talk about this much anymore, but I went through a large gardening phase in my life. Uh, Almost exclusively, uh, the, the two loves of my gardening life were hot peppers and uh, pumpkins. And so, uh, a lot of you, because I haven't been involved in this in years, but a lot of you know that from the time I was in high school, I spent years trying to grow one of those giant pumpkins. The only, the, the, the hitch in my giddy up about growing one of those giant pumpkins was for the first, like, seven or eight years that I tried to grow a giant pumpkin, I actually grew no pumpkin. And um, no pumpkin, if you if you follow the movie, is slightly smaller than a giant pumpkin, right? Like I wanted one of those 800 pound pumpkins, but I keep growing this. One of the things that happened is you put the pumpkin seed into the ground and it would grow and uh, with these giant pumpkins you get like these giant, giant, giant vines and they would go all over all over the yard. For some reason, I could never get those to grow. A few years ago, I finally did get some pumpkins to grow. They weren't giant. But here's the thing about growing giant, giant pumpkins. If you're trying to grow a, a, a giant pumpkin, what you want is, is, is maximal connection or, or 
back, takes the nutrients from the ground, takes the water from the ground, and brings it to the fruit. That makes the fruit grow, uh, the giant fruit can grow. And, and to do that, you want to get the maximum amount. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, even if little pumpkins start to grow, is that you find and find the best, the best fruit on, on that vine, and you leave that one, and then you, you pluck off all the flowers and all the other little fruits so that you can get the best the best pumpkin that, that you can get. Now, uh, experimentally, I never had that work for me. However, in, in my still looking at the internet and being jealous of other people's giant pumpkins, right, I know that this, this works. If you go, uh, if you were to leave here and you drive up Alpine, drive up the fruit bridge, there's places up there where you will see uh, on, on the farms where they have like 800 pound pumpkins just sitting around. How they get an 800 pound pumpkin? Well, they grew one pumpkin per vine, they plucked off all the, all the smaller, all the less effective, effective pumpkins, right? And so that's gardening. You might not, not do it a lot. Uh, I still live that one day. I will live the dream. I'm just sort of, I'm dormant on the dream right now, but one day I'm going to, I'm going to, to grow a giant pumpkin. Uh, the point here, nonetheless, was this, is that pruning doesn't ever seem like fun. So what she's saying is saying, you could be growing, you could have fruit, stuff in your life, and God in the vine is going to come and he's going to pluck off some of that stuff in, in your life. And it's fruit, but he's going to prune some of, of the fruit. And that never sounds pleasant, right? Uh, it, it doesn't sound good to, to have things taken away, to have things taken out. That doesn't seem to be enjoyable to us. It seems like bad news, but it is it is good news if you're dependent upon vine, because what it's saying is, is that that the fruit that you do grow, what God's going to do is going to take away the stuff that's only going to be less effective, and, and He's going to help you essentially bear championship fruit. He's going to help you be connected to the vine in a way that, that, that allows you to have the most nutrients, the, the, the most uh, the most water, the most everything it needs for growth. And so, pruning never seems like fun, and yet the reality is is that when He prunes, it bears more fruit, right? And so that's a, that's a, a in their case, a grapes analogy, right? So you take away some of the bad, some of the bad branches and that, so that the other branches might be more effective. And in taking away some of those things, it bears more fruit. The reality here is that you have stuff in your life that might not be bad stuff, it might even be good stuff. Some of it might be, uh, some of those, those branches might seem like the right things, and God, in His goodness, comes along and says, I'm going to take away that branch so that the fruit that you bear might be even more. I'm going to give you more fruit. I'm going to, going to produce more green, but it's going to be somewhat painful in the process because it hurts to be pruned. Not for a plant, but for a human, oftentimes it hurts to be pruned. Sometimes God has to deal with even good things in our life, or he has to deal with other things, sometimes bad things. We deal with stuff in our life that we might bear more fruit. Already we're clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. What I just want to emphasize here as we walk through is how many times we want to repeat this idea. So, abide in me as I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone abides, uh, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, abide in my love is coming up, you will 
and I think the idea of making Jesus wants us to grasp is that we should abide in Him. To abide means we should be in Him. We should depend upon Him. Our, our, our meaning, our life, our existence needs to be in Him. Right? A lot of us get very, very, very fired up about being true bearers for the kingdom, about doing great things for, for the kingdom. And so we talk about kingdom stuff, but the reality is that we do not take the time that is appropriate. We do not take enough time to do things that you might call soul care or you might call um, a devotional activity, but we, we are so pumped up about the kingdom and about doing, we forget that at the heart of bearing and truth is to abide in Jesus. How do you abide in Him? Well, you talk to Him. You talk with Him. You listen to Him. How do you hear from Jesus? We are not those who put our finger in the air, listen to the wind, and say, I just got a word from the Lord. That's not us. The Lord has given us a word. It is contained in this book. The Lord continues to be the very word, right? John 1. will rightly be called fruit. We are to be fruit producers. How do you produce fruit? You abide in the vine. Uh, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. Uh, uh, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We could be doing all kinds of worthless, worthless, worthless work, and the reality is our work is worthwhile. But it was worthless unless we are abiding deep in the vine. We are not going to be producing fruit unless we are. And so, so the the answer or or the 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 the, the goal of being a fruit-producing believer 
is to be connected to the vine at a greater depth. The reason, the driving force behind our focus on discipleship and our focus here is this. I want you to be active. I want you to be missional. I want you to be loving your neighbors. I want you to be sharing Jesus. I am okay with a young radical congregation who is okay with risking big things for Jesus, but I want it to be for Jesus. And what I need to see from you and what I need to see in us is more depth in Jesus. I want to hear about your devotional life. I want to hear about your prayer life. I want to hear about what Jesus is saying to you and what you read in Scripture. I want to hear how Scripture is confronting you. I want to hear how Scripture is transforming you. I want to hear Hear how who Jesus is is transforming who you are. We are to be abiding in Jesus. Our dependence is upon Him. Why is our dependence upon Him? Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I suggest to all of us, all of us, that we make that our life verse. That is a verse that we desperately need to hear in our time and in our generation. It's a, it's a verse that we need to hear in, in young missional congregations because the reality is, is that it's easier to be young and missional when you're young, right? It's in the name, right? It's easier to be young and missional when you're young. Some of you, many of you, in fact, I met while you were in college, some of you while freshmen, most of you not yet married. I have performed your weddings, I have dedicated your, your children. I have been there. We have walked through this. The reality is, is that even we, who once were the youngest congregation on the block, I'll remind you uh, that for some foolish reason, they approved me to plant a church when I was 24, right? I started this a long time ago. We were younger when we started. I will remind you that we are not as young as we were anymore, we have had marriages happen. We have had children happen. And here's the interesting thing about marriages and children and anything else is that some of that radical energy, point me in a direction, let me do something radical for Jesus, uh, is, is, is taken up into the equally radical and the equally um, appropriate vocation of being a good husband, a good wife, a good parent. But here's what I've learned recently as I try and set up things like open table, as I try and organize schedules for missional communities and, and huddles, is that there is often trouble with older when you're older with setting up these things because the schedules are more difficult. And it's so frustrating because sometimes I'm frustrated because I'm like, uh oh, why can't I set this up? Why can't this be done? I'm looking for a day. And when I was younger, it was other people because I was just a young dude with young kids and had nothing. Now I've got four kids and they have something on the schedule every night. And I'm trying to schedule stuff and it never works with my own schedule, right? And so my point simply about this is that the problem with being the young missional radical is that you at some point are going to get older and um, I'm okay with radical and I'm hoping that you will stay missional, right? But what I'm trying to say is that there is some of that that is naturally a part of the personality of a, of a, young, people, a young person. And I'm not saying that young people are not abiding in, in Jesus. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's a reality where some 
of being the young missional guy is about being young and missional guy who loves adventure and it's not always completely and fully about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And so now we're moving into this phase where hopefully, listen, we could use, again, some young radical people. I mean, we, we Dave and I go to the... Um, go to college ministry fairs. I used to be the king of the college ministry fair. I used to attract the kids. I could sell them, come with, I used to do it. Uh, now either I've got older, the kids have changed. You know, something, something's happened. I don't recruit the colleges as well as I, well as I, I, I did. Maybe it's the gray in, in the beard, but uh, it, maybe it's true I was cooler at 25 than I am at, at 41. But I mean, I, I'm not against that, but for the next generation and for, for, for your life, I, I still want you to be missional, fruit-bearing people, but what I want you to connect with is this, this reality is that, that some of that in your younger age, and definitely some of that in my younger age, might have been driven a little bit by a personality and a thirst for adventure. And I'm hoping in the next phase of my life, I will be equally committed to missional things, equally radical about following, but they will be driven by the fact that I abide in Jesus. And as I get older, and I get tireder, and, uh, and I have, you know, I seem to get all the fun stuff. So I've had surgery on both shoulders. I have to hold this like this. It's not just that, I mean, I might anyways and preach like this, but my back hurts. That's why I'm doing that, right? So I'm, I'm slightly older, and, uh, you know, for 41, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not sickly. I just got a bunch of weird stuff going on, right? And so... So I'm finding day by day, as I get a little bit older and I get a little bit tireder, that sometimes the books <laughs> and the stuff I've read about people who do radical things, they still inspire my soul, but my body and, and my oldness and my, and my having the four kidnesses, right? Sometimes I'm tired and I'm going, what's, what's going to get me up, Right? I hope in the midst of all of that, in the midst of any of that, that what gets me up is that I'm connected to Jesus, that I'm in love with Jesus, that I'm hearing from Jesus. And so, so the only cure I know of, right, and like most of you, most of you are still young enough that you don't get it because most of you are in, in the 30s, right, which probably seems old to some of you. You hit 30 and you're like, wow. 30's old, right? I remember when Libby turned 30, and I was like, wow, that's old. I always turn whatever age she is two years later, so I'm used to it. So I have to use her age. Like, every time she turns an age, I'm like, wow, I can't believe you're that old. And then when I get there, I'm like, yeah, at least, I, you know, I'm used to it. But, but like, you're, you're most of you in your 30s, and you're like, I feel good and all this, but like 40, it's older, you know? And I honestly, I'll tell you, this whole, this whole series comes down to like this introspective moment where I'm like, okay, I'm 41, right? That's, that's getting close to the top of the hill unless, unless I'm going to live to be 100, um, which, you know, early returns, not so great, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, but like unless I'm going to learn to be 100, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I've crested the hill, which is scary to think about, right? And you're still 30 and you're like, everybody lives to be 60, right? uh, statistically speaking, right? And so you, you're in your 30s and you're, you're still feeling young, but, but within a decade, you're gonna be in 40 and you're gonna realize, I just went over the top of the, top of the hill. 
I'm on the other side of the hill. And so I'm hoping that you get to the point, and it's better that you do it now, that you go, what am I going to spend these decades on? What's going to matter? What's going to have meaning, right? What, what is my thing? What am I about? And so this whole series comes down to this realization when I was turning 40 that, that for the next decades of my life, what God wants me to do is to train leaders and to disciple, to disciple leaders, to train leaders. And so it, it starts there, and then God was just really speaking to us throughout the year, and I go, and I, Dave and I... Uh, We'll, we'll sit down and we have our weekly meeting and we'll talk. And I said, Dave, shouldn't we do something more with discipleship? And he's like, yes, we need to. But what, what this comes down to is, is, is this reality is that, that when I was 24, with sheer foolishness and a lot of excitement, you know, and, and, and enough, enough, enough being dynamic, uh, I could convince people to march through, through walls, Right? And I'll be honest with you, I hope I didn't, but when I was 24, I might have been able to do that whether I was following Jesus or not. Because that's dynamic. You can, that's, that's leadership, right? That's what I talked about, leading from, from giftedness. Like, I could, I could do that, and I hope that's not what I was doing. I'm not saying that was what I was doing. I'm just saying that I know at 40, I've got less energy, <laughs> right, for that. And I've got less time for that. And I've got less of that. And honestly, you guys are at a different age, and we're all at different ages, and so am I saying that I want us to be less active or to be less radical? Or less? No. What I'm saying is I want us to be more connected to the vine because, frankly, I don't know that we have the energy on our own anymore, and having energy on your own produces no fruit. Jesus said it. I'll trust him. Right? It doesn't work. And so what is going to, to, to cause the growth of the kingdom and the growth of fruit over the next 10 years of my life, in the next 10 years of, of your lives, in the next decades of our lives? It is this. We must abide in him, in he and us. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Right? I might not be able to go at the level with the, with the amount of, 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 uh, of sheer excitement. I may not be able to recruit a college fair like I used to. I might not be able to do that, but I can abide in Jesus and it can be done at any age to go deeper into him, to know him more, to know him deeper, to love him more, to listen to him more, and to obey him. I can still do that at any age, right? I may have to hold on to this this thing, but even in holding on to this pulpit and standing here like this, I can abide in him, and so can you. At any age, you might say, I'm busy. I'm going to say, abide. You might say, I've got so much to do. I'm going to say, abide. Parentheses, just as a slight parentheses. So when I started Crosswinds, I was 24, just turning 25. We were great at recruiting the college, the college fairs. And um, so we would have college kids leading all kinds of ministries. And I always remember that I get calls a lot of times, usually about 20 minutes before whatever ministry that person was leading was supposed to start. And they'd say, Dave, I'm just, I'm so busy. I'm so busy now, right? I just, I can't be there to do my ministry. I'm so busy. To which I always responded. They always said, I've got so many papers. I go, oh, that's great. Just promise me that you'll start working on your paper right now and won't stop until it's completely done. And then usually they'd say, fine, I'll be there in a couple minutes. Because uh, that's not how college kids work. But 
I, I just, and then I remember talking to stressed out college kids that like, my life is just so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so this. It's so funny, man. Like, like college, honestly, some of y'all were there. You know right now that if you could go back to college level of busy, you'd take that right now, right? Let's go back to that, right? College overwhelmed is nothing like four kids in, in craziness overwhelmed, right? Like on the day when you're getting a call from, your, from, from one, of your, one of your children's teachers to tell them what they did and you got to go in and meet with them, maybe you haven't had that experience yet, wait, right? When you get that call, man, you'd love to go back to that. But here's, here's all of that, which is a giant parenthesis to say this. We cannot fix the pace at which life goes. We can't really fix the, the pace at which our, we, can, we can deal with our culture in an appropriate ways and we can make wise decisions, but we can't, we can't fix all of that, right? And so, so in the next decades of your life, if you want them to be about what Jesus wants them to be about, it's not just going to be sheer sprinting. Like, I'm going to sprint it out, I'm going to go hard. It can't be that. It doesn't, it doesn't survive. The answer to being the disciple that Jesus calls you to be is to be the disciple that abides in him. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You want to bear much fruit? Like, I want to bear much fruit. I'll be honest with you, and I think this is a, I think it comes from a holy and righteous place, but my life calling and my life hope and my prayer is, Lord, let me bear much fruit. Let me bear much fruit. And if you want to be a fruit bearer, it's by abiding in him, depending on him. For apart from him, Jesus says, verse 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the confession says. How do you carry out the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? You carry it out by being a disciple. How are you a disciple? You're a disciple by abandoning yourself, taking up your cross immersing yourself into the work and the ministry of the body and by being fully and wholly dependent upon Jesus and who he is and what he does by knowing him more, loving him more, talking to him more, listening to him more, by immersing yourself devotionally, spiritually, and on every level into the will and the way of Jesus, you fulfill the chief end of man to glorify God. How do I know? Because it says this, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my what? My disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. 
The call of a disciple is a call to abandon. Take up your cross and follow me. The call of a disciple is a call to immersion. You're immersing yourself into a body and you're immersing yourself into a ministry and that too takes sacrifice. That too takes difficult decisions. You might have to choose to do things differently. It takes that. You are called to be fully dependent upon Jesus. And, and we, are, we naturally want to be independent people. But independence is the enemy of discipleship. You're like, but I'm kind of independent. And I'd be like, well, you kind of need to get over that because you are not going to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus like you need to be if independence is your goal. But here's the good news of the whole thing. Your chief end, what you were made for, what you were created for, what the, what the fall broke, what Adam and Eve destroyed, what happened in the garden was you were made to glorify God. That was your purpose. It was what you were created for. It was how you were supposed to exist. And at the fall, everything got twisted. So now you have been deceived and we have been deceived at the very core of our sinful beings to think that we are made to live for something else. I'm made to live for that. I'm made to live for job. I'm made to live for money. I'm made to live for him. I'm made to live for her. I'm made to live for power. We believe that we're made to live for all kinds of things and not a one of them fills us up. Not a one of them makes us complete. Not a one of them gives us what we, what we need and what we desire because we were not made for any of those. We were made to glorify God. And when you are a disciple of Jesus and when you are dependent on Jesus, you are returning to your meaning. You are returning to your purpose. You are returning to what you were made for. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. How do you fulfill your purpose for existing? By being a disciple. And if you are to be a disciple, what then? You love the Father as he has loved you, and you abide in the love of Jesus. You keep the commandments. You abide in the love. Just as Jesus kept his Father's commandments and abandoned his love, here's what I want you to catch. At the end of the day, when you fulfill the purpose for which you were made, even though you've abandoned, even though you've immersed, even though you've given up independence, at the end of the day, these things have I I being Jesus in that passage, these things have I, Jesus, spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. The way of a disciple is the way of abandon, but in the flipped around kingdom of Jesus, the way of abandon is the way to find joy. But this is the word of the Lord I want you to catch. You will not discover joy and you will never be a disciple or follower of Jesus like you are called to be, like you are meant to be, unless you abide in him. And guys, that starts here in this book, right? You can't say, I'm a Jesus follower. How do you know how to follow Jesus if you never listen to him, if you never hear from him? If, if you never talk to him, it starts in this book. It starts in, in prayer. It starts in faithful fellowship and community with, 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 with accountability. It starts in huddles. It starts in missional communities. You must grow deeper into Jesus. And if you do, and if we abide in him, whoever abides in him, it is he and she who bear much. My prayer for us is that we would be fully abandoned, that we would be fully immersed, and we would be fully dependent upon who Jesus is, that we might be his disciples, 
and that our joy might be complete as we fulfill our purpose of glorifying God forever. Pray with me.